Okay, brothers and sisters, praises be to our loving God. We are gathered once again to study his words. We left off two weeks ago with completion, the completion of the Torah or the first five books of Moses, right? And so we're going to fast forward a little bit because we want to focus in our next uh, series about the book of Revelation. But before we get to the book of Revelation, it's very important that we understand the overall plan of God for salvation and its relation to the people of Israel, because you cannot remove Israel out of the equation when it comes to the, the process and plan of Yahuwah God when it comes to salvation. So we left off with the death of Moses and the successor, his name was Joshua. Take note, we should be given a hint because of the name change that took place from Hosea to Joshua. Joshua, properly transliterated in English, is Yahushua, which is the name for salvation. So Joshua would be the one to bring the people of God to Canaan, the promised land, to establish the kingdom. But what was the key for Joshua to succeed in bringing the people to Canaan and to establish the kingdom in the promised land? Let's read the book of Joshua 1, 8 to 9. Study this book of instruction continually meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do this is my command be strong and courageous do not be afraid or discouraged for yahuwah your god is with you wherever you go so what was the key for joshua in leading the people of israel to occupy the promised land the key was the book the key is obedience to the commands of God. When they enter Canaan, they enter foreign grounds. They have never been there before as a group. And so they're going to occupy a territory filled with enemies. And so what was the commandment of Yahuwah God to Joshua and the people of Israel? Be strong and courageous. So those two things is what we need today as well. We need to focus and meditate upon the words of God, and we need to heed his commandment, which is to be strong and to be courageous so that we too can fulfill the promises or we too can receive the promises of Yahuwah God. So this is what Joshua did. So he leads the people of Israel to the promised land. Once they get there and they conquer the enemies of Israel, they eventually settle and Joshua, according to what was given by Yahuwah God during the days of Moses, allocates the land to the, the tribes of Israel. So they, Joshua was able to lead Israel to succeed there in the promised land. But of course, as a human being, what would eventually happen to Joshua? He's going to die, right? And so before he died, what was his farewell address? The book of Joshua 23, 14 and 16, soon I will die going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every, that every promise of Yahuwah your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. But as surely as Yahuwah your God has given you the good things he promised, he will also bring disaster on you if you disobey him. He will completely destroy you from this good land he has given you. If you break the covenant of Yahuwah, your God, by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he has given you. So before Joshua died 
and he gave final admonitions to those who will survive him. What was his emphasis? You notice his emphasis was the faithfulness of Yahuwah God. How was the faithfulness of Yahuwah God demonstrated? He fulfilled every single promise that he gave to his people, Israel. That can be a good thing. That can also be a bad thing because Yahuwah God also gives a warning that he will fulfill. And it's recorded right there. What did Yahuwah God say? Through Joshua, Joshua said his anger will burn against you quickly and remove you from the land if they become guilty of what? What is that called? That sin that starts with the letter I? It's called idolatry. When they end up worshiping other gods. So in advance, Yahuwah God issues a warning. Yes, Yahuwah God is faithful to his promises, but he's also faithful to his holiness. And so if we will betray Yahuwah God by worshiping false gods and be guilty of idolatry, idolatry is what removed Israel from the promised land. Keep that in mind. Keep this promise of God in mind that was would eventually be fulfilled. So we have Joshua who succeeded Moses. He's about to die, right? After the death of, Moses, uh, of Joshua, who was the overall leader that succeeded him? What's the answer? Was there a successor to Joshua? Was there? Let's find out the book of Judges 2, 6 to 9. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served Yahuwah throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things Yahuwah had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Yahuwah, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash, who succeeded Joshua. There was no one overall leader who succeeded Joshua, who instead took over the leaders who outlived Joshua. Who were these leaders? These were the elders. These were the judges. Why was there no overall leader this time around? Because the conquest has been completed. They were already in the promised land. What was only needed for them to live by faith? The covenant has been established, right? The laws and commandments have been given, right? The worship was already given. The Levites have been placed already. The priests were already set up. And so all they needed to do was to receive leadership from who? Yahuwah God. This was supposed to be a theocracy where Yahuwah God is king. So the overall leader after the death of Joshua was supposed to be who? Yahuwah Abba. And the people during these days, they were supposed to live by faith, trusting in an invisible God who would rule over them, even though he is in heaven that required a lot of faith because after all if you believe someone that you cannot see who is not physically present with you here on earth that requires a lot of faith so this was this is the expectation of Yahuwah God that by this time they would be able to follow the teachings of God without having one overall leader as a human being it would be Yahuwah God himself however what would happen 
uh, to the next generation of the people of Israel. Let's read uh, the book of Judges. We read 2, 6 to 9. Let's read 10 to 13. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge Yahuwah to remem or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in Yahuwah's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned Yahuwah, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered Yahuwah. They abandoned Yahuwah to serve Baal and the images, the images of Ashtoreth. Isn't that amazing? All it took was one generation. And what happened to the people of Israel? They forgot all about Yahuwah God. Instead of worshiping him, instead of revering Yahuwah, what did they end up doing? Precisely what Joshua warned them not to do. What was that? To worship other gods. They worship Baal. They worship Ashtoreth. And so Yahuwah God, if he was not compassionate, if he was not merciful, Israel should have been taken off the promised land right there and then. Right, But we all know about Yahuwah's mercy. He is faithful to his promise, Abraham, his promise to uh, Moses, promise to Joshua. And so Yahuwah God was merciful. He did not remove completely Israel out of the land. However, what would happen to the people of Israel? Because Yahuwah God would be a God who would exercise discipline. He would use his rod of correction. And how did he correct the people of Israel when they served Baal, the Ashtoreths, and other false gods? Let's read Judges 2, 14 to 15. This made Yahuwah burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around. They were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle... Yahuwah fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned. And the people were in great distress. So what happened when they worshiped and served other gods? When they ignored the teachings and commandments of Yahuwah Abba? Bible says Yahuwah became angry and Yahuwah gave them over to their enemies, like the Philistines, right? The Philistines were one of the worst enemies of the people of Israel. And so this was the judgment of Yahuwah God. But what we can often see, an often refrain in the Holy Scriptures is, when Yahuwah God gives judgment, he tempers it with what? Mercy. Judgment and then mercy. And so in the mercy of God, what would he do? After his, his people are given over to their enemies. Let's read the book of Judges 2, 16 to 17. Then Yahuwah raised up, Judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to Yahuwah's commands. And so what would Yahuwah God do every time his people Israel would be given over to their enemies. Well, the people of Israel would cry out to God in great distress. Yahuwah God would respond with great mercy. And so he would raise up judges. This is why we have the book of Judges, right? So after Joshua, we have 
judges. These were the leaders whom Yahuwah God would use as instruments to liberate the people of Israel from oppression, to liberate them from great distress because he would use them in a powerful way. But what would happen as soon as Israel has been set free from oppression? They would go back to their old ways. They would repent, cry out to God, they will be set free and go back to their old ways. Does that sound familiar? Perhaps a lot of us can relate, right? We get ourselves in trouble. We call out to God, oh, Father, please forgive my sins. Please set me free from my pain. Heal me of my sickness. And then God is merciful. He grants us peace. He delivers us from our predicament. And then what do we do afterwards? We go back to our old ways. This is what God sees all the time from the history of man up until today. And so this was very evident during the days of the judges. This is why the Bible says how quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who walked in obedience to Yahuwah's commands. And so what was the pattern during the days of the judges? Judges 2, 18 to 19, I should say, what was the pattern throughout the history of mankind? Not just during the days of the judges. Here it is, 18. When Yahuwah raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge, rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For Yahuwah took pity on his people. This was the mercy we were talking about, who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is the pattern that Yahuwah God saw. He would raise up the judge. And while the judge was alive, Yahuwah God was with him. The people obeyed. But after the judge died, that human leader died, what happened to the people? They returned to their corrupt ways. In other words, the people of Israel during these days, they were incapable of living by faith. They needed a human leader to guide them. And so they did not reach the standard that Yahuwah God wanted for each and every one of them. This is why Yahuwah God would often raise up judges. There were many judges, right? You had, for example, Samson. He was a judge. But do you know who the greatest judge was? Who was the greatest judge or leader that was raised up by God? Someone by the name of Samuel. Samuel, right? Samuel was a great judge. And when he was judge over Israel, Israel was doing great. But... Like all human beings, what would happen to judges? They would all die. So before he died, while he was getting old, what did the elders, the other leaders of Israel, decide to do? Let's read 1 Samuel 8, 1 to 5. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But, here's the big but. They were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's not good. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. That's not good either. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And so these elders, these leaders who worked together with Samuel, 
what they, they what did they demand from Samuel? What did they want? They wanted a king to rule over them, just like the other nations. And when this request was made to Samuel, how did Samuel feel about that? Let's read for Samuel 8, 6 to 9. Samuel was displeased with the request and went to Yahuwah for guidance. Do everything they say to you, Yahuwah replied. For it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they had continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. And so when these leaders, when Israel as a whole demanded that they have a king rule over them, how did Samuel feel? Well, he was displeased. He was sad. And so he went to Yahuwah and consulted with him. What was the reply of Yahuwah God? He says, do everything they say to you, for it is me that they are rejecting. Because when they were asking for a king, they were rejecting the king that was already there leading the people of Israel. Who was that? Yahuwah. This was a theocracy. They were supposed to live by faith. It was Yahuwah God who would lead the people of Israel. But they did not want Yahuwah God. What did they want? Just like all other nations, what they wanted was a king they can see and touch and talk to a human being. That's what they wanted. And so Yahuwah God says, do as they ask, but give them the following warning. Warn them about what the kings will do to them. And so Samuel gives them a pretty bleak description of what's going to happen to them because of these kings. And despite the warning that Jehovah God gave the people of Israel, what did they say? Let's read 19 to 22. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. Do you see how people are so inclined to have a human leader they want to have a leader that they, can't, they can see. They're not content with a leader they cannot see. They have to have one they can see. They can call on the phone, right? Hello, uh, are you still there? They want someone directing their steps. They want to be babied and pampered. It's difficult to live by faith, but it's required for us to learn to live by faith so that we can enter by faith the kingdom of heaven. And so these people, despite the warning Samuel gives to them, they say, well, Samuel, we still want a king. We want a king that we can see. We want a king who's human. And so we want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to Yahuwah what the people had said. And Yahuwah, our God, replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. And so Yahuwah is basically saying to Samuel, that's what they want? Okay, give them what they want. And so who became the first king to be appointed? Let's read the book of 1 Samuel 10, 9 to 12. Saul turned and started to leave. God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? 
Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of, the, one of those standing there said, can anyone become a prophet no matter who his father is? So that is the origin of the saying, is even Saul a prophet? So when, Sam, when Saul began to prophesy, many people were surprised by that. This can only mean one thing. He received the spirit of God. You see, when a person receives the spirit of God, what they cannot do, they're now able to do. Back in those days, the spirit of God was given you know, one individual at a time. And this is why a king who is going to rule over the people of God, he needs to receive the spirit of God. Because without the spirit of God, he cannot rule the people of Israel. And so Saul was given the spirit. Samuel recognizes the spirit now that is in Saul. And so what does Samuel decide to do? According to the will of Abba. Uh, 10, 24, 25, and Samuel said to all the people, this is the man Yahuwah has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and placed it before Yahuwah. Then Samuel sent the people home again. And so when the sign that, was, that Samuel was looking for was fulfilled in Saul because he had the spirit of God. What did Samuel do? He said, this is the king. And so Samuel uh, points to Saul and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. So at that point, the kingdom was established. Okay. Saul becomes the first king. But we know what happened to Saul, who became the first king. How long did he reign as king of Israel? Forty years. But after that, what happened to him? We know what he did. He disobeyed Yahuwah, our God. He became rebellious against the commands of Yahuwah God. And so what would happen to Saul? Uh, 13. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command Yahuwah your God gave you. Had you kept it, Yahuwah would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. For Yahuwah has sought out a man after his own heart. Yahuwah has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept Yahuwah's command. So what happened? Because Saul disobeyed the commands of Yahuwah God. Bible says, Yahuwah says to Samuel to tell Saul, your kingdom must end. And so at this point, Yahuwah decides on a new king, right? The son of Jesse. Who is that? Let's read a 16, 12 to 13. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark, but handsome. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And Yahuwah said, this is the one. Anoint him. Want to pause there for a while. Was David chosen to become king because he was handsome and he had beautiful eyes? Was that the uh, criteria? No, it just so happened that David was handsome. But God was not looking for the external. He was looking at his heart. This is why in the verse I read earlier, he is looking for the one who is after his own heart. So Yahuwah God was looking at his heart, not at his eyes. Right? Maybe the women there were looking at his eyes. But Yahuwah God was looking at the heart. And Yahuwah God said, this David is the one. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil 
he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of Yahuwah came powerfully upon David from that day on. And Samuel returned to Ramah. You see, during the days of the Israelites, prior to the Christ, the Messiah, right, the Holy Spirit, it came by individual, not, not corporately. This is why during those days, the, the leader of God's people, they would need to receive first the Spirit of God. During our time today, this is why there's no need for a one overall leader who is a human being. is because Yahusha leads us by means of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given globally, corporally. It's given as a body, not just to individuals. And this first took place on what day? Pentecost, the book of Acts chapter 2. This is why when that happened, when Yahuwah gave his promise through Yahusha, it was to establish the leadership of our King Yahusha to be the overall leader. And he leads from heaven, right, by means of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit receiving it is so valuable because we have received the Spirit of God. We can receive leadership from our King directly, Yahusha who is from heaven. So David is king. And while he was king, Yahuwah makes a promise. This is called the Davidic covenant. He makes a covenant with David. What was that covenant all about? Chronicles 7, 17, 11, and 14. Uh, for when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me. And I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father. And he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him. As I took it from the one who ruled before you. Who was that? Saul. Right? I will confirm him as king. Over my house. And my kingdom. What does it say? For all time. And his throne will be secure forever. And so what was the Davidic covenant about. David was not perfect. We know about his sin, right? Regarding Bathsheba. But because of his heart and his love and affection for Abba, Yahuwah God shows him and made a covenant with David. And this covenant says that his son will be the one to build the temple and that his kingdom will be for all time. This was one of those multiple fulfillment prophecies, right? This is why there's the son of David in the future, whose kingdom set up by the son of David was he referring to? Matthew 21, 9, Yahusha was in the center of the procession and the people and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. This is why Yahusha is called the son of David. Because he would eventually sit in the throne of David to be king over Israel for all time. This is a future fulfillment, okay? But the immediate fulfillment of his son, who will build the temple. By the way, Yahushua, did he also build a temple? Did he? Yeah. What's the temple that he built? The assembly, right? The church, the body, his body. But the immediate fulfillment of this prophecy was fulfilled in who? The next king, his son. What's his name? Solomon. And so we have now two kings so far. We have Saul. We have 
David. Now we have Solomon. Solomon continued, my father David planned to build a temple for the worship of Yahuwah God of Israel. But Yahuwah said to him, you were right in wanting to build a temple for me, but you will never build it. It is your son, your own son, who will build my temple. And now Yahuwah has kept his promise. I have succeeded my father as king of Israel, and I have built the temple for the worship of Yahuwah God of Israel. I have also provided a place in the temple for the covenant box containing the stone tablets of the covenant, which Yahuwah made with, his, with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. And so who would fulfill the building of the temple as mentioned in the Davidic covenant that Yahuwah God made with his son, David? The Bible says, and it's very clear, it would be his son and his name is Solomon. Did Solomon build a temple? Yeah. And after Solomon built the temple, Solomon became the wise king, right? And during the reign of Solomon, Israel reached a state or condition of glory. Saul, when he was leading Israel, he ruled for how many years? 40. David ruled for how many? 40 years. But they did not yet have a temple. But when Solomon came, they had a temple. Not only did they have a temple, his fame and the fame of Israel would reach the ends of the earth. The fame and glory and riches of Israel would skyrocket to the top. This is why Israel became, quote unquote, like a superpower nation. They became well known. There was great glory during the administration of Solomon. Solomon placed Israel on the map, basically, right? So Israel became well-known. He became very wealthy. He had a navy, and he built many, he had many building projects. But what would eventually happen to Solomon? What would happen to him? Sometimes when we prosper, what's the tendency when you prosper, when you receive a lot of blessings, what's the tendency for human beings? They tend to forget who? Yahuwah God right? And so what happened to Solomon? Let's read Kings 11 for you. Eight. Solomon married 700 princes, princesses and also had 300 concubines. They made him turn away from God. And by the time he was old, they had led him into the worship, into the worship of foreign gods. He was not faithful to Yahuwah, his God, as his father David had been. He worshiped Astarte, the goddess of Sidon, and Molech. Remember Molech? The disgusting God of Ammon, he sinned against Yahuwah. It was not true to him as his father David had been. On the mountain east of Jerusalem, he built a place to worship Chemosh, the disgusting God of Moab, and a place of, to worship Molech, the disgusting God of Ammon. He also built places of worship where all his foreign wives could burn incense and offer sacrifices to their own gods. And so when he was old, his foreign wives, by the way, Yahuwah God warned him not to marry foreign wives, but he rejected the command of God. Nevertheless, Yahuwah God still gave him a chance. But when he became older, what did the foreign wives lead him to do? To betray Yahuwah. How did he betray Yahuwah? In the worst possible way that you could think of. Not only does he build places of worship for these false gods, 
he also ends up worshiping these false gods. Remember what Joshua said? What did Joshua say again? If you will worship other gods, you will vanish from this land. Israel has been guilty of that repeatedly throughout its history. It is only the compassion and mercy of God, the long-suffering of Yahuwah God, which is the reason why, despite what they have done, they still remain in the land, right? But we all know Yahuwah God has a, a point where when you cross that point, Yahuwah God is going to say enough is enough. And he's going to take them out of his presence. Okay, at this point, Yahuwah God sees Solomon, he betrays him. And so what does Yahuwah God decide to do? Let's read 33, 36. I'm going to do this because Solomon has rejected me and has worshipped foreign gods. Astarte, the goddess of Sidon, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Molech, the god of Ammon. Solomon had disobeyed me. He has done wrong and has not kept my laws and commands as his father David did. But I will not take the whole kingdom away from Solomon. And I will keep him in power as long as he lives. This I will do for the sake of my servant David. Because of the Davidic covenant, right? Whom I chose and who obeyed my laws and commands. I will take the kingdom away from Solomon's son. And will give you 10 tribes. But I will let Solomon's son keep one tribe. So that I will always have a descendant of my servant David ruling in Jerusalem. The city I have chosen as the place where I am worshipped. And so Yahuwah decides that he will take the kingdom away from Solomon. And so he will give 10 tribes to someone else. And he will keep one. And eventually it will be another one, Benjamin. right? And who would he give? This kingdom too, which will take place or be put in effect after he dies. Let's read uh, 37 to 40. Jeroboam. I want to pause there for a while. You know who Jeroboam was? He was an official of Solomon. He was a trusted official. Uh, when Solomon saw him work, he said, well, that's the man I want. And so we appointed him to a high uh, office. Jeroboam was the assistant of, of, uh, of uh, Solomon. Okay. And so Sol uh, Yahuwah God was speaking to Jeroboam. He says, because of what Solomon did, you are going to take the kingdom from him after he dies, right? So he's speaking to Jeroboam. Jeroboam, I will make you king of Israel, and you will rule over all the territory that you want. If you obey me completely, live by my laws, and win my approval by doing what I command, as my servant David did, I will always be with you. I will make you king of Israel and will make sure that your descendants rule after you, just as I have done for David. Because of Solomon's sin, I will punish the descendants of David, but not for all time. So Solomon, it's like history repeats itself. What does Solomon do? Remember what Saul did to David? What does Solomon do to Jeroboam? And so Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but he escaped to King Shishak of Egypt and stayed there until Solomon's death. Okay, because Jeroboam, would be the one to take over his kingdom, all 10, the 10 kingdoms. And so eventually Solomon dies. Jeroboam, uh, Jeroboam takes over uh, the 10 tribes, which would be called Israel. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would take over the tribes of Judah and also Benjamin. And so now we have two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. Okay. Kingdom of Judah, led by Rehoboam. 
kingdom of Israel led by Jeroboam. And so the kingdom that was established would eventually be divided into two kingdoms. The date when Israel passed from a united to a divided monarchy or kingdom was 931 BC. Okay, so remember that day, 931 BC. And so during the, ki the kings, during the king kingdom of Israel, started out with Jeroboam, right, kingdom of Israel. And then these are the following kings that succeeded him all the way to King Hosea. He was the last king. And the kingdom of Israel, most of the kings over Israel and Judah, were they evil or good? Most of them were evil. This is why Yahuwah God would send what? What would he send? So that Israel and the king would repent. What would Yahuwah God send? Prophets, right? And so during the kingdom of Israel, prophets were sent out. Who was the first one? Elijah. This was followed by Elisha. And then Amos. After Amos, Jonah. After Jonah, Hosea. And so these were the prophets who preached to the kingdom of Israel, warning the people of Israel to repent and to return to Yahuwah. Okay? Uh, how about the kingdom of Judah? The kingdom of Judah, these were the kings, started with Rehoboam, all the way to Zedekiah. And who were the prophets who preached to them? Obadiah was the first one, followed by Joel, followed by Isaiah, then Micah, then Jeremiah, then Zephaniah, then Huldah, then Nahum, then Habakkuk. By the way, Huldah was not a prophet. She was a prophetess, <laughs> a woman prophet okay so these were the prophets who preached to the kingdom of judah and so yahuwah god was so merciful right how many times were they given the chance to repent and to return but always they would go back to their corrupt ways and betray yahuwah god and worship idols and images right and so he sends prophets but they ignored and persecuted the prophets. And so they have crossed the line. Can you blame Yahuwah God? I mean, Yahuwah God has given them so many chances. But despite all this, they keep betraying Yahuwah. And so what does Yahuwah God eventually do? Second Kings 17, 18, and 20. So Yahuwah was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of Yahuwah their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, Yahuwah rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. And so what did Yahuwah decide to do? Because they would continuously ignore the prophets and kept worshiping false gods. Eventually, time came when Yahuwah says enough is enough, and he removed Israel from his presence. And then Judah, he also removed from his presence. So both houses, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, would be given to their to, to plunderers. They would be given to their captors. And who was the first one to fall? Israel, right? Israel uh, became captive of Assyria around 722 B.C., and Judah became captive of Babylon around 586 
BC. So when we look at the kingdom of Israel, right, the kingdom stood for 120 years after Solomon dies, because the 120 years is composed of the three, uh, the, the three uh, monarchs, uh, Saul, how many years did he rule? 40. David, how many years? 40. So Solomon, how many years? 40. So 120 years in total, after 120 years, after the death of Solomon, well, what happened to the kingdom? It would split into two. The divided kingdom stood for 345 more years until Yahuwah God says enough is enough. And Judah and Israel both fall to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians. And that would be the end of Israel as a whole. But we all know Yahuwah God is not yet finished with Israel. Yahuwah God has plans for Israel because the promises of Yahuwah God, if you look at the covenants, covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, and the covenant with David, who do they deal with? Who is, who do, what does this covenant center around? Israel, right? So Yahuwah God is not finished with Israel. I want you to keep that in mind. Remember, they became captives in Babylon. They became captives in Assyria. But Yahuwah God is not yet finished with Israel. So how will God, I mean, what will God do? And what can we see from the work of Scripture? Because we all know the plan of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, points to who? Yahusha. The fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of the three covenants, Abrahamic, Mosaic, and Davidic, all of that will be fulfilled in who? Yahusha, right? And when Yahusha will fulfill all of those covenants, how will he do it? How can this be when they have all been in captivity? How can this happen? We find the clue here. I'm going to share with you a clue because when Solomon was still king of Israel. He became powerful, rich, and wealthy, and he had a visitor. You know who visited him? He had a special visitor that Yahusha, our king, mentions in the Gospels that will have special relevance when it comes to the work of salvation today. Do you know who that visitor was? Special visitor. Many people read the Bible and they simply gloss over it. But who was that visitor? Well, let's go ahead and read first. The book of 1 Kings 9, 26 to 28. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Azion Geber, which is near Elath on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Adam. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen, who knew the sea to work with the servants of Solomon. And they went to, oh boy, they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. When you read the Bible in Job, in Psalms, in Ezekiel, it will mention time and time and time and again, the gold from Ophir. Ophir was a special place. It was a place of gold. Solomon would often visit, not him personally, 
but he would send his servants to go to Ophir to get gold. And so when the people of Solomon, his servants would go to Ophir to get the gold while they're over there, you know, they're talking and they're worshiping, right? And so while they're doing that, who gets a hold of what they were doing? Who gets an, uh, an idea of Solomon? Well, let's keep reading. Uh, the verse that follows 28 is 1 Kings 10.1. Okay? But you know, in the original Bible, there's no numbering. So it's just one continuous story. And so this gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahuwah. Want to pause her for a while. Who heard about Solomon? Sheba. How did he hear about Solomon? From the people who were going there to get what? Gold. So the queen of Sheba hears about Solomon and she is enticed, right? She is curious. She wants to know more about Solomon concerning what? What does it say? Yeah. <laughs> Concerning the name of Yahuwah. Perhaps. I mean, this is a great possibility. Maybe the queen of Sheba, maybe she knows the name. Could that be possible? Yes. Because even during the days of old, they called Yahuwah, Yahuwah. Right? And Sheba, if you still remember, has brothers. Sheba, long, long time ago, right, is the son of Joktan. Joktan had a brother named Havilah and Ophir. They were all related. And so after the Tower of Babel incident, certain people groups went to different places. Okay, people from the, uh, Havilah, Ophir, and Sheba, they went to the Far East. Okay, so there is this queen who comes from a place called Sheba, who was named after the Sheba, who is the son of Joktan. Okay, I just want you to keep that in mind. And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahuwah, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And so basically, uh, Solomon answered all of her curious questions. And this queen, what would be her response? She says, blessed be Yahuwah your God. And so this is the queen speaking. And the queen says, blessed be, blessed be Yahuwah your God, who, who delighted in you, get, uh, setting you on the throne of Israel, because Yahuwah has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And so after having a conversation about the name of Yahuwah God, for some reason, 
the Queen of Sheba, I don't know her name, right? But the Queen of Sheba, she was impressed. She knew, she knew that this is the salt, this is the one of whom the prophecies speak about. Okay. So somehow this Queen of Sheba knows all about Yahuwah God. So she would not be a pagan. She knows all about Yahuwah God. And so when she confers with Solomon and they talk about this, his name, Yahuwah, they are on the same page. And then indeed, blessed are you, blessed be Yahuwah your God. So we need to know where Sheba is. We need to know where this queen is. We know it's in a place called Ophir. And that's throughout the Holy Bible. But where is this place called Ophir? We know the gold came from there. Now, how else was this Ophir described? Second Chronicles 3.6. And he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty. And the gold was gold from Parvaim. Wait a minute. I thought the gold was from Ophir. Why does it say here gold from Parvaim? Because Parvaim describes Ophir. The word parvaim in Hebrew happens to be referred to oriental regions. Orient or eastern is a general term for the east. And so this place called Ophir is from where? The east in the orient. So we know that so far. Ophir is in the orient. What is it also called? Besides Parvaim, Psalm 72.10, the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Ophir is also called Tarshish. And Tarshish is composed of what? Islands. And so Sheba, Ophir, Right, because he's the, this queen of Sheba, who is from Ophir, is going to come from a place in the Orient, in the East, composed of what? The Isles, the Islands. What connects this together? Isaiah 60, verse 9. Surely the Islands look to me in the leader, the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to honor, to the honor of Yahuwah. You're gone. The Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. So we're connecting clues in the Holy Bible so that we can identify the place where this Queen of Sheba is from. Queen of Sheba is from Ophir, the place of gold. Queen of Sheba is from Tarshish, composed of islands. Islands where? Parvaim, which is in the east. Islands in the east, where there is gold. It's in Tarshish. Well, how far in the east is it? Let's read 2 Chronicles 29, uh, 9.21. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So this place called Ophir, or Tarshish in Parvaim, right? has many natural resources, including gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because this place called Tarshish or Ophir or Sheba, it's in the east, composed of islands, and it takes three years 
to travel by ship to go back to go to go there and to go back for years when you calculate the speed of ships during the days of solomon it takes about two years to go back and forth plus an extra year of course to get the goods okay so that's perfect uh distance if you are to look at the far east it's going to be towards the end the end of the far east so three years of travel back and forth that gives us a clue concerning how far Tarshish or Ophir is from Jerusalem. Okay, it's pretty far. It's not near, it's far, far in the east, composed of islands. Now, what other clues do we have? This place called Ophir or Sheba. Let's read 1 Kings 10, 11, and 13. Also, the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almug wood for the house of Yahuwah. What also uh, can we find in this place called Ophir, where the queen of Sheba is from? Because if you keep reading now, the king Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, Whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the, to the royal generosity, she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So they go back to Ophir. In Ophir, they have this, what is called Almug wood. And Solomon is interested in the Almug wood for what purpose? For his house, but most importantly for the house of Yahuwah. What is this almug wood about? How does it look like? In artist sketches, almug wood is actually red sandalwood. You notice the red in the picture there? So this type of wood is reddish in color. And algum in Hebrew is agumium, which is red sandalwood. Okay. So in Ophir, in Sheba, where the queen is from, there is red sandalwood in abundance. Today, where can we find red sandalwood? It is a hemiparasitic tree native to semi-arid areas of the Indian subcontinent. It is now planted in India, China, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines. Could it be that Ophir referred to in the Bible that has all these natural resources, could it be the Philippines? Is the Philippines composed of islands? Yes. Is it in the Orient or in the East? Yes. Wait a minute. Does it have lots of gold in the Philippines? Yes. Even today, it's the number one producers of gold. How about sandalwood tree? Is the Philippines known for sandalwood tree? What is your answer? Yes. You know what it's called? It's called the Nara tree. It's called the Nara tree. It's the national symbol of the Philippines. And this tree is what kind of tree? Red sandalwood. Why was it called Nara tree? Because of the one who made it famous. Because of the one who brought it to who? Solomon. Who was that? The queen of Sheba. You know what Nara means in Hebrew? Turns out in Hebrew, the word Nara means she who must be admired this queen of sheba was admired 
and wealthy. She had an entourage with her when she went to visit King Solomon. The relationship was established. Young girl, worthy of admiration, wonderful, admirable. And so it's not surprising that the tree, the algum tree, mentioned in the Holy Bible would be named after the Queen of Sheba, Nara tree. And when we look at all of the different resources mentioned in the Bible about Ophir, Tarshish, and Sheba, because if you go through the Holy Bible and look at every instance of Tarshish and Ophir, right, it will mention natural resources. Uh, some researchers at God Culture, okay, Timothy Schwab, I think that's his name, and his team of researchers put together a list of possible candidates for where Ophir or Tarshish may be located. And so what the possible candidates are Ethiopia, Yemen, India, Britain, Spain, Peru, uh, Malai, Peninsula, Indonesia, and the Philippines. And so what they did for us is to look at all the instances in the Holy Bible that describe Ophir, right? And they put all the different categories. And the only one that passes the test of everything mentioned in the Holy Bible, guess what it is? It is the, the Philippines. And so the Philippines is Ophir. That's where the Queen of Sheba came from and went to Solomon. So the Queen of Sheba went to uh, Jerusalem to visit Solomon, okay, a long, long time ago during the, year, the days of Solomon. So we know Sheba is Ophir. Ophir today is the Philippines. Now, why are we talking about Solomon? Why are we talking about the Queen of Sheba? Because of Yahushar King. What do you mean? Yahushar King mentioned a prophecy. What was that? Matthew 12, 42. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Here's Yahusha, right? And Yahusha says, in the end, the time of judgment, in the end, the judgment time, there will be those who will rise and they're identified with the queen of the south. Do you know what the queen of the south is? That's the queen of Sheba. Sheba sounds a lot like Cebu, doesn't it? When you look at Cebu today, it's spelled how? C-E-B-U. But ancient maps did not have a C. It had the S. And so when you look at the ancient maps and the ancient documentaries about this place in Ophir, it was also called Cebu, right? And Cebu City today is also called Take a look at this from uh, Wiki, Wiki Travel. This is what it says, Cebu City, or what does it say? Can you read it? Queen City of the South. Cebu City, it's called Queen City of the South. And so when Yahushua 
mentions it again, he's saying to us, time will come. There will be people, right, during the days when the end is near, who will be like this queen of the south, queen of Sheba. And what did queen of Sheba do? She went all the way, despite the fact she was from the ends of the earth, meaning she was all the way at the ends of the east, the far east. So she was from the far east, despite the fact she's from the far east, she went all the way to where? Jerusalem, to meet with who? Solomon, right? And so Yahusha is saying, if this queen went all the way to Jerusalem to speak with Solomon because of his wisdom, Yahusha says, someone greater than Solomon's here. Who is that? Who is that greater than Solomon? Who is here? Yahusha. And so what is Yahusha, our king, telling us? He's telling us there is a group of people identified from where this queen is from, the queen of the south, or from the Philippines, or from Ophir. And so there will arise from the Far East people who will seek Yahusha. And for what reason? Do you still remember what motivated the queen of Sheba to go all the way to Jerusalem to speak to Solomon? What was it? Concerning the name, the name of Yahuwah. This is why it's so relevant for us today. You see, Israel as a whole, they were taken to captivity in Babylon and then to Assyria. But Yahuwah God is not yet finished. Yahuwah God is going to do something to bring together Israel again. And it will involve also the name of Yahuwah God in these last days. But how will this happen? For us to know, we need to first identify what happened to the people of Israel who were held captive there in Judah or I mean, there in Babylon and also especially there in Assyria, right? And we'll talk about that in our next episode of the Bible History Project. It's getting exciting, brethren. It's getting exciting because the Bible is pointing us to the final works of salvation, preparing us by giving us that precious name because that's what's going to tie everything together. And what glues everything together as well is the identity of those who are Israel. And we're going to talk about this in our future episodes of the Bible History Project. That is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes, Yahuwah Abba. Yes, thank you so much. Yes, for the unfolding of your plans and purposes. Yes, Please, Father, bring us enlightenment. Yes. Especially for those eagerly seeking the truth. Yes, Nourish and strengthen our faith. Because we love you. We love your words and we want to be with you forevermore. Throughout our studies, we beg you, loving Abba, may you send your Holy Spirit. We are human beings with many faults and weaknesses. May you cover them with your love that we can receive in full, not only your spirit, 
but also grow in knowledge, be fed by your wisdom, that each day in our passing life, we can grow all the more stronger in our faith. Be with us, O oh Father, as we reach out to you in prayer. Be with us as well as we dig deep into your holy words. Our King and loving Mashiach, Yahushua, our King, may you be with us. We want to know more about you. We belong to you because we profess your name. We trust you because you are our king who died for us. May you be with us every step of our journey. Guide us by the hand and strengthen our faith. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Bless and guide your people throughout the world that we can all be led to salvation and everlasting life. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen. Amen.